When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Sonos Smart Speakers. The Sonos One blends great sound with Amazon Alexa, the easy-to-use smart speaker voice service, hands-free control of your music, and more. Sonos is offering listeners of Canada Land 10% off of one order of $2,500 or less. It applies to any product at Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time, only can't be combined with any other discounts or promotions. To get it, go to Sonos.com, use the promo code CANADA10, that's CANADA10 at Sonos.com. This episode is also brought to you by Paytm. Paytm is a great way to pay your bills all in one place and to get rewards on those payments. If you are getting cash back on your credit card, if you collect air miles or aeroplan, why not also get rewards based on your bill payments with Paytm's points program? This is the only program in Canada that gives you points when you make a bill payment. Double your rewards when you pay your bills with Paytm. Visit paytm.ca. incels. Seriously? Men, heterosexual men, who call themselves the involuntarily celibate, 
men who feel unfairly rejected by women, who they despise, men who feel deprived of the sex they believe they are entitled to, men who have found each other online where they dare each other to take vengeance on the world for their involuntary celibacy and thus achieve glory within their chat rooms. And that's why 10 people were murdered on Young Street last week? The madness and stupidity of this deserves nothing but disgust and scorn. Seriously, fuck these guys. Fuck their complaints, fuck their movement, fuck their revolution, fuck their ideology. I don't want to think about it, talk about it, talk to them, give them the slightest suggestion of recognition or respect. But what is the cost of that? And is it possible that the reflex I have, and that a lot of men this past week have expressed, this this reflex to denounce and dismiss these assholes with their hateful, self-pitying, self-loathing form of maleness, is it possible that part of the reason why we want to go back to ignoring them is because when we do talk about them, when we do look at them, we recognize something about ourselves. Archie Mann is a journalist with Daily Extra who has been immersing himself in the online manosphere, the expansive collection of masculinist subcultures that incels belong to, and he has been doing so for long before Alec Manassian's hate crime in Toronto last week. Archie Mann thinks that we cannot afford to just ignore incels. He says that we have to take them seriously. And Archie Mann joins me in a minute. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Stephen Buller, Laura Smith, Catherine Snow, Sabrina Lemire-Roger, Griffin Marsh, Madison Goy, Sarah Carroll, and Kira McLeod. This is Kira McLeod. I support Canadaland because Jesse and his Canadaland staffers don't hold back from asking the tough questions and from addressing their own bias. Jesse takes the time to reflect on criticism he receives, which makes for a much richer discussion. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. 
but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by our founding sponsor, FreshBooks. If you are a freelancer, if you are a small business owner, this is the best solution in the world for getting your house in order when it comes to taxes, expenses, invoicing, all of that stuff that you might not love doing. It is especially useful come tax time. It saves you time all the time. It gets you paid quicker. There are so many good reasons to use this. Try it out for free for 30 days. See how this can help you with the things that you need to do. And you don't need a credit card to do so because you listen to this podcast. Just go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand and enter CanadaLand in the how did you hear about us section. Finally, this episode is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. You don't have to commit to one course and seeing it all the way through and pay in advance. No, you pay for the entire library of learning, over 10,000 lectures to enjoy in virtually any category. They have an app. You can use it on your smartphone, TV, laptop, anything. I want to suggest that listeners of this show might enjoy the course Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, Techniques for Retraining Your Brain. And there is a special limited time offer for listeners of this show that they are making available to you. And that is a full month for free, not of that course only, but of the entire library. In order to get it, you got to go to this URL, listen carefully, The Great Courses Plus, spell out the word plus, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash CanadaLand. This is worth your time, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash CanadaLand. Archie, what's the Manosphere? So the Manosphere is a variety of different internet subcultures that are extremely anti-feminist and kind of exist on a lot of the times the darker recesses of the internet. Over the last 20 years, you've had these kinds of different subcultures kind of pop up, branch off of each other, fight with each other. They're in communication with one another, but each thread is kind of separate and different, right? And they're also form a kind of subset of what we think of now as like the alt-right. So the manosphere and this kind of like racist white supremacist stuff um, the kind of new version of that, those are all tied in together as well, but in these really complicated ways that uh, are not obvious uh, when you look at them at first glance. Online spaces that are supposedly, I guess it's the internet so you don't know, male only, where women exist only as sexual objects or objects of derision, pornography is traded like, I'm trying to distinguish this manosphere you're describing from the first bulletin board system that I logged on to <laughs> when I was like 14 years old. Yeah. Is the internet the manosphere? So the internet's not the manosphere, although, you know, if like 90% of the internet's like heterosexual pornography, then certainly you can think of it a little bit that way. But no, the when we're talking about the manosphere, we're talking about really kind of specific subcultures. So I'll give you some examples. There's the pickup artists. Mm -hmm. They were one of the first ones to kind of crop up about 20 years ago on these various like Usenet groups, right? Uh, you have the men's rights activists. Uh, you have the red pillars. 
you've MGTOWs, who are a really fun one. Uh, men going their own way, but they use the acronym MGTOW. As opposed to the invol the incels, the involuntary mm -hmm. celibates would like to have sex, but uh, involuntarily cannot. Yeah. The MGTOWs <laughs> are guys who said, that's it, I can't get sex and I don't want it anymore. Yeah, some of them say that they can have sex, uh -huh. uh, but they describe it as going full monk. That might sound like a lot of... You know, religious traditions, uh, celibacy isn't something new to a lot of men, but what they talk about 90% of online is this really intense misogyny, right? Mm -hmm. So, so yes, they talk about just kind of focusing on themselves and like withdrawing from the world, but in fact, almost all they want to talk about is how women are screwing them over by not screwing them. So that, that's another subset. And then you do have these incels who are kind of another distinct group. I guess the point that I, I want to make just on the outset going in yeah. is that in the wake of this tragedy and of this attack, there is a lot of wide-eyed media interest in, in exactly what we're doing now. Almost as if like Jane Goodall has come from the field and is going to explain to us these, you know, like you, you're an expert on this, uh, the way that these societies are organized. <laughs> from an outsider's perspective, please tell me, what, how do they operate? Which would, I think, suggest a lack of familiarity that would not be genuine. Like, as I say, mm -hmm. misogynistic online spaces where sweaty, angry, sexually frustrated men develop their own language around hating women and, and wanting women and trying to strategize how to get women, but also, like, that feels like it's just baked into online culture from the, the earliest moments that I remember it. So to get hyper-specific about these little subcultures, I mean, I think we have to. They're legit, they mm -hmm. seem to be a, a legitimate threat. But I also just want our conversation to include, like, how much of this is just part of the whole damn thing? I mean, I think online misogyny, as you're saying, is kind of baked into the internet as a thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's clear. You, you can go as far back as you want. I remember when I was, you know, in the sixth grade, just kind of trolling various forums. Like, this was how these, like, teenage boys and men who dominated these spaces talked, right? But there is, I think, an important distinction to be made about these kinds of different groups. It is important to do this kind of anthropological study because... When we're talking about what in my mind is essentially a terrorist attack that occurred in Toronto, or at least we have a lot of evidence that kind of points that way. I want to talk more about that distinction yes. or that, and that, that yeah. designation, but let, yeah, yeah continue. We, we can definitely get to that. But a men's rights activist, in my mind, is a lot less likely to commit this kind of ideological violence. You might have a kind of domestic violence or, or just the kind of regular violence that men, regardless of what they believe, you know, commit on an everyday basis all of the time, right? But when we're talking about, say, incels, you know, this is a kind of specific subset who are radicalizing each other and who are really trying to push each other to engage in a kind of public violence and encourage kind of copycats. You really want to understand those distinctions while also not getting so lost in them that you lose the kind of misogynistic threat. And I think that's what you're talking about, right? Like misogyny in online spaces and these campaigns of harassment that we've especially seen over the last few years. Think of Gamergate. Mm -hmm. These are really tied in for sure. And they help fuel some of the more extreme ends of this spectrum as well. Okay, so let's do the anthropological thing. Take me through some of the lexicon here. What is black pill? I'm familiar with the red pill from the Matrix reference, mm -hmm. and, you know, in the alt-right context of being red-pilled. What is being black-pilled or a black pill? So let's maybe explain that Matrix metaphor a bit. In the movie, Neo's presented with, like, two options. You know, he's found out the truth about the Matrix, or, or I don't remember the exact timeline, but, like, 
Morpheus is like, you can take the blue pill and you can kind of go back to your normal life and everything will be fine. Or you can take the red pill and you can learn the real truth about the world. Mm -hmm. And the red pills kind of become a unifying metaphor for both the manosphere and other parts of the alt-right. They think that actually they're the ones who see society for what it really is, which is a kind of hierarchy-based system in which there are real and important differences between different kinds of people. So whether that's men or women, whether that's different you know, races, different cultures, and that actually people should embrace that kind of hierarchy. That logic is what ties together a lot of these more manosphere types and a lot of the kind of more racial elements of the alt-right. They feel that the world is trying to delude them into thinking that these distinctions don't exist, that hierarchies don't exist, and that I've read people saying, like, you know, the final red pill is to learn that the Jews control everything. So yes. you're, you're going down this dark path where, in doing so, people believe, I'm learning more about how things actually are, and there's people who want to keep me from this truth. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of like a simplistic version of the, the, their red pill metaphor, because they get real deep into it. Yeah. But, like, for incels, they talk about taking the black pill, which is pretty much embracing nihilism. They say that they realize that actually we lost the genetic lottery, whether it's for looks or for personality. And the world is built for entirely other people. And we're at the bottom and we just have to embrace that kind of nihilism. And actually the best thing to do is just like lash out at the world. To unspool the narrative of this is like, you start off with like, let's forget all this romantic notion of finding your soulmate and connecting with a human being and falling in love. Let's get red-pilled and recognize that sex is a commodity, that it goes to the rich or the attractive. Uh, then you could go into a pickup artist thing where like, you can game this, you can reverse engineer this, you can manipulate women, you can trick them, even though you might not be alpha and dominant. Mm -hmm. Naturally, you can use psychological warfare. And then if that fails, you're just like accepting your black pill status that you have no sexual social currency, you're a nothing on this marketplace. And so if you're forced into a position of humiliation and deprivation, fuck it. Yeah, pretty right? much. Okay, and burn it all down. Yeah, and the Darwinian language that you're using there is, is exactly right. That is how they think of it, right? So that has its roots, I think, partially in the kind of evolutionary psych methods that those pickup artists like to use in the early days, right? And that these folks are kind of indoctrinated with when they try and use that pickup artist red pill kind of stuff. And if it fails, like you said, they go full nihilism. Because there have been at least two and perhaps three instances where people self-identifying as incels have gone out and killed people, we're now taking them seriously. And you write that we need to take them seriously. Do I have to take them seriously? I don't believe that most of the people who are having these conversations are going to take to the streets, even as they egg each other on to do so. Are we risking giving too much seriousness? And there's always that troll aspect of like rubbing their hands together with glee when they're taken seriously by, you know, conversations in the press and whatnot. Like, I worry about that, too. I used to think of it a little bit that way, right? Certainly we shouldn't, for a lot of these really vile portions of the internet, people who call themselves, identify as, as whatever group, that actually you give them power if you talk about them in the media and if you take them too seriously. But then the Trump election happened, then Charlottesville happened. And I think Charlottesville especially was a really important turning point. A lot of folks were using those exact same arguments, you know, myself included, to dismiss parts of the anti-Semitic and kind of racist internet to say, look, it's just a kind of 
humor, you know, they're trolling, they're trying to push each other to extremes, they're trying to provoke, but, you know, do they really believe it? Like, maybe at some level, but it's just the internet, it doesn't matter. But then at Charlottesville, we saw that there are real people behind those usernames that they really do believe what they say, and at least a certain chunk of them are willing to go out on the streets make their presence felt and even kill for that, right? And that, I think, uh, was a really big wake-up call. After that, you had people actually try and push some of these platforms that the alt-right had. So, you know, the Daily Stormer, for instance, was pushed onto the dark web because people were starting to pressure their web hosting companies. Yeah. A lot of Facebook groups were shut down. You know, there, so there no was... no platforming campaign. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There was concerted effort to try and limit these spaces or at least make them more difficult to access. And that also was happening in tandem with a more concerted push against other alt-right figures like Richard Spencer and making sure that they don't have, you know, also physical platforms as well. And I think that has made a difference in the last year. This year has felt a little bit different in terms of the kind of ascendancy of the the white supremacist racist alt-right than I was feeling, you know, in April of last year. Maybe that's as good a time as any to revisit this idea that this was a terrorist attack, Mm -hmm. which is being uh, debated right now. I think it certainly fits the bill of a terrorist attack in that it caused terror, and I think it was intended to cause terror. That's a lower bar than a lot of legal definitions. When you get to the level of definition saying that there has to be some sort of a um, a political goal in mind, I think that's where this starts to, you know, there is an ideology. There yeah, is a misogynist absolutely. ideology. It meets that criteria. But when you talk about a nihilistic movement, what is the political goal? Does it meet that criteria? What is the political goal of what Manassian did in Toronto? I think the immediate political goal is to inspire copycats. And be venerated by this community that these folks are a part of, right? That, I think, is something that should be taken seriously enough and I think falls under a definition of kind of terrorism. But there are more explicit kind of political goals that they talk about. They just sound absurd when you actually say them out loud. They want the government to provide girlfriends, to incels, right? Like this is, it's... it's, Really? Yes. (laughs) And you don't know how seriously they mean that, right? But you never know how seriously they mean anything, any of these online subcultures, until they're actually out in the world, right? It's so stupid. It's so stupid. But read that Facebook post, and that's the stupidest thing that anyone's ever read, right? Anyone who's talking about Beta Uprising, the Supreme Gentlemen, Stacey's and Chad's, right? Like, it inherently is ridiculous. But just because it's ridiculous, it doesn't mean it should be kind of ignored. And it doesn't mean that it isn't ideological terror. My reluctance to give it that classification is not semantic or it's not that I think that only a certain kind of action can be called terrorism. It's that I have a very critical outlook on the remedies to terrorism once we define something as terrorism, right? And you write, we need to stamp this out. We need to no platform it. We need to mm-hmm. push it off the internet. I have no problem with denouncing terrorism and saying like that there's no place for, for these kinds of hateful messages once they go from opinion into actual hate speech and incitement of violence. It just doesn't work. If people are putting on the black hat and saying, I'll play the villain, it is empowering that very campaign. I worry about pouring gasoline on this thing Mm -hmm. by pathologizing it and outlawing it. So I think we should get into a few of the distinctions of the way a response to this, even if we view it as terrorism, could look like. 
Should it be treated like, uh, say, how the government's response to Islamic terrorism has been? Absolutely not, right? Uh-huh. The response to that is crack down on civil liberties, engage in a whole bunch of like racist rhetoric, really push the bounds. And that's not what I'm saying should happen at all. In fact, most of what I'm talking about is not a government response, but a kind of crowdsourced response. So you mentioned that if we kind of do anything, it just almost makes the problem worse, right? That Not if we do anything, yeah. but if we essentially take it seriously as a yeah. threat, push it off the internet, classify it as terrorism, put it in the same category as we do any other extremist yeah. terrorist ideology and treat it accordingly. So there have been at least a few studies now that have come out that show that when you at least take out some of these platforms, they always do come back. But they come back much weaker and with fewer people. Say what happened on Reddit, right? There was a specific incel subreddit last year, had about 40,000 subscribers. It was shut down because of the horrible misogyny that was going on there, Mm -hmm. because of doxing, because of all of this kind of stuff. And Brain Cells came back, which is another subreddit dedicated to incel, but has about 20,000, and their rhetoric is a lot less virulent, because they don't want to get kicked off again. It's being effective, you're saying? Yes, exactly. But uh-huh. actually, if we can limit the kinds of platforms, if we make them harder to find, then we kind of stop the radicalization process and its tracks for new people. Because what I really worry about and what I've seen happen over the last many years, I've been interested in the kind of Manosphere stuff and following it for, for maybe a decade. I read the game when it came out, and like it was just a strange experience. And ever since then, I've been kind of following along. Can I pause you there, actually? Yeah, yeah. So you're talking about Neil Strauss's book, The Game, yeah. which I think is the first mainstream mass media look at the pickup artist community yep. that was read both in this ironic way of laughing and sneering at these guys with their peacock purple hats, but it was also read by a lot of guys who wanted to learn the game. Yeah. Uh, oh, I wanted to learn the game. You wanted to learn 100%. the game. 100%. Yeah, I was, what, 18? Yeah. Right? Like, I, you know, had dated a little bit, and, and I didn't really, I don't know, understand what, what it was really about. So I think I read it, listened to, like, an audiobook version when I was, like, working a summer job. And I didn't hear any of the irony at the time. Uh-huh. Like, none of it. I think Neil Strauss is a bit disingenuous when he says, well, you know, it was kind of a look at these folks, right? Like, you have to remember Strauss himself became one of the most lauded and successful, quote-unquote, pickup artists yeah. of his, like, generation, right? He was in this world. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is a better conversation if we can talk personally, you sure. know? Thinking back at a time when you come of age, like, you know, mm-hmm. sexually, and you start to try to figure out the difference between what the culture tells you about sexual relationships and romantic relationships and what you're experiencing and witnessing, I think that this is something that a lot of young men grapple with and you're trying to come to some understanding and then there are people waiting there to say like, oh, don't believe all that bullshit. I'll tell you how it really works. Oh, absolutely. They are and, and that is vulnerable. Yeah, those messages are very compelling. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of toxic stew of the kind of casual pop culture misogyny that I think a lot of us experienced growing up, the messages we were told by, like, John Hughes movies, right? Like, have you guys seen Sixteen Candles? That thing is the rapiest movie I've ever seen in my life, right? When you're kind of fed a lot of these ideas and when you're told over and over again 
you know, as a boy and as a young man, that your value is tied into some kind of idea of almost like sexual conquest, right? That you are defined by being able to extract this commodity from women. That in and of itself is quite toxic. But when you, it gets taken to the next level, when it kind of gets weaponized and even monetized, right, by pickup artists, by the red pill folks, by a lot of these kinds of self-help, men-oriented gurus online, that, I think, becomes really dangerous. And that's often the first step for a lot of really toxic online subcultures, yeah. right? Like. A lot of these neo-Nazis started off as, I don't know, men's rights activists. Christopher Cantwell, who people might remember from that Charlottesville documentary, he was writing for A Voice for Men, one of the most virulently misogynistic MRA groups. When you're writing about what we need to do about incels, you, in addition to saying we do need to know platform them, we need to identify them as a threat and push them off, you also say we need to de-radicalize them, we need to look at toxic masculinity that yeah. causes them. And I think back, like before any of this was like a place you could go to online that was specifically designated and all this terminology appeared. I remember like the first time you kind of come to the realization of, oh, I thought that the nice guy's supposed to get the girl, but chicks like jerks. Yeah. And to feel simultaneously in a position of anger and judgment at the people who you want romantic attention from is I think this common male experience that like forget even just the manosphere, but you make the connection to the alt-right, to the white nationalist movement, to Islamic terror. This is all men aged 14 to age 40 who are idle, frustrated, like sex frustration equals death obsession. Like it just feels like the larger issue is rooted in this, for lack of a better term, toxic masculinity. Yeah. The phrase toxic masculinity often gets bandied about. It almost starts to lose meaning after a while. But I think the way that you explained it really makes you feel just how toxic that is, right? Like a through line for all, say, terrorists that we come across, whether they're ISIS-inspired, whether they're white supremacists, whether it's some of these more recent incel-inspired terrorists, if we want to call them that, is... Frustration at women, domestic violence, and misogyny. That is an absolute constant. Mm -hmm. So this is in many ways at root about violence against women, even when it's kind of, you know, an ISIS attack in Brussels or something like that. But it's also about a certain violence against men themselves. And when we say toxic masculinity, I think that it often gets misinterpreted as we're calling all of these men toxic. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of these men are toxic. Jessica Valenti writing uh, in the New York Times about this, in the same piece where she writes that we do need to consider this terrorism, we need to consider what happened in Toronto terrorism, she says, the truth is that in addition to not protecting women, we are failing boys, failing to raise them to believe that they can be men without inflicting pain on others, failing to teach them that they are not entitled to women's sexual attention and failing to allow them an outlet for understandable human fear and foibles that will not label them weak or unworthy. If you feel like you're a piece of garbage because you don't have sexual value to women, you're a victim of, of, of toxic masculinity. Yeah, absolutely. You, you've bought into a ideology that does a disservice to you. I feel often really horrible for a lot of these men and boys, because a lot of them are still just in high school, who identify as incel. Not just because, you know, they're feeling sexually unsatisfied or romantically unsatisfied, but because their ideas of happiness, their ideas of self-worth are entirely tied to that. They're getting from commercial culture this idea that, like, unless you're good looking or rich, you don't deserve women. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get them and you don't deserve them and you're nothing. There is no one communicating to them a cogent narrative for how they can 
make a contribution or be valuable or that their worth is not just based on whether or not they have enough good looks or money to get girls. You know, we have this culture that is hypersexualized while it's also incredibly sexually repressed. Who is giving them a different narrative, like besides Jordan Peterson? Like who's actually telling the idle male youth, like, why don't you do this instead? Because you actually might have some value. I think about this kind of stuff a lot. I think the critiques that a lot of social conservatives now make about Western society and the lack of purpose and meaning, it's not, I think, just limited to men. It is something that I think we have to kind of contend with, right? When religion recedes, when other institutions recede, when the things that gave people meaning and structure in their lives previously, you know, in generations past, are no longer as prominent, what does step in to replace it? And I think we have seen with the rise of a lot of these online subcultures, a deep desire amongst a lot of men for community, for purpose, and for a coherent way to look at the world. Yeah. And unfortunately, they find that and they find it amongst the most hateful and toxic people who are really willing to sell them something, right? Who are willing to give them a message. And they find that more appealing than I think the kind of commodified, uh, I hate to use the word neoliberal, but neoliberal kind of messages that they get from the rest of society. So I do think there is something there. I mean, who else is giving them those messages in, in a more positive way? Like, I don't know. I really don't see that very often. I do think that is one of the reasons why, you know, Jordan Peterson has such a kind of wide appeal, um, despite the fact that, you know, he's kind of a simplistic moron who thinks that we're lobsters or whatever. When people are idle and searching for that kind of meaning, the first person to provide it, and all these things, be it Islamic Jihad, like they provide community, fraternity, purpose. Jordan Peterson provides a lot of things that these people are obviously incredibly hungry for, but unfortunately there's this other dark edge to that message that leads them to hate other people. Either you're providing that thing that people are so hungry for as a means to politically motivate them to some dark end, or that just seems to naturally stem from it. All of which, I guess, returns me to the original question of this, which is the best way to contend and deal with this. I worry that if your message to those who feel like the lowest of the low is, well, now we see you and we do think you're the lowest of the low. Mm -hmm. And uh, our message for you is that your ideology is disgusting. It was designed to be disgusting. It was designed to be offensive. Are we not playing it to a game? And I don't know what the answer is. I almost feel like, boy, I wish there were Boy Scouts again or something, you know? Like, yeah, like it, you know, people need a place to go and there's something to do. Uh, it's, it's just depressing going into all of this. But I kind of see it at two levels. I think we need to make sure that there aren't more copycats. And I think in terms of, like, these violent outbursts, to do that, you need to kind of disrupt their immediate networks and to make sure that they're not able to really escalate the radicalism and bring more men in. But that is a very short-term solution, right? Like, I see that as that's a kind of first step that needs to be taken to make sure that this doesn't happen again in, you know, another city. That does not deal with the root cause of the problem in any way, shape, or form. It does not give these young men purpose, right? It does not kind of provide them alternative paths or alternative messages. Arshi, are you concerned that if we push these forums off the internet, they're just not going to pop up in more virulent forms? Not really, because I think when we're talking about preventing the kind of violence that we saw last week, 
only a small number of people within this kind of toxic subculture are actually going to engage in that, right? And so I think goal number one is to limit the amount of people who find these really horrific groups and who then become even more radicalized. Because you can't tell from the rhetoric which person's going to go out into the real world and commit violence. Behind those screen names, you don't know who actually has the capacity to go out and do that. So I think the only thing you can do is try and make sure as few people as possible are able to spend a lot of time on these sites or on these platforms. If it is on the dark web, well, the dark web's kind of tough to get to, right? Like, you kind of have to know how to do it. And it's not as easy as just, like, typing in a URL. Mm -hmm. So I do think that while you'll probably be left with the most extreme elements, right? I mean, those are folks who are going to find each other already no matter what, right? They're already off the deep end. We need to make sure other folks aren't joining them. You know, for the last few years, people have been saying, look, they're not just kidding, right? Someone is going to act out on this. And yet those folks weren't taken seriously. People like David Fattrell, who uh, follows uh, the various parts of the manosphere and comments on them. He writes uh, that we hunted the mammoth. And for anyone who wants to understand the manosphere, I would highly recommend checking out the archives of that. For a long time, he's been saying that, look, these are dangerous people. Somebody mm -hmm. is going to go and commit some horrible act. They need to be contended with in some way. And it got almost no mainstream attention. Nothing happened. And, you know, here we are. But, you know, there are folks online who have worked with some of the kind of incel community to kind of try and, like, talk them out of it, de-radicalize them. And it's tough. They're pretty far down the path, right? They are at the kind of most extreme fringe that you can get. And that kind of deep programming that, that would be required does require some kind of intervention. I think we're going to be seeing more of these kinds of toxic subcultures present themselves and grow as both technology advances. You can imagine a world where VR is really common and in everyone's homes and where folks both are engaging with this technology more but are maybe even more kind of socially isolated from the real world mm -hmm. and go into these subcultures, right, and really create these kind of toxic communities, you know, both with the movement of technology, but also we haven't fixed a lot of the root cause problems that are making these boys and men feel so disconnected. And I don't see anyone providing solutions. So I do think that this is going to continue. It's going to metastasize into new and terrifying forms. And there's probably going to be a lot of really angry young men out there who are looking for some kind of meaning and somebody out there is going to give them one, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's actually purposeful or whether it's dangerous and, and violent, you know, that's going to depend. All right, Archie, if you do figure out how to save Western civilization, we'll, uh, we'll add it to the show notes. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. That is your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is at canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. There is a new episode of Oppo with Justin Ling and Jen Gerson coming out this week on Tuesday. Editorial assistance by Alamade Alanian. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. 
If you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.